Going to the police station to see if your son is lying about a stabbing he was in. What page of the parenting handbook is that? Hello, Dexter Morgan fans, and welcome to the Dexter New Blood Wrap-Up Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Reynolds, writer and producer of the Showtime original series, Dexter, and now the new Showtime special event series, Dexter New Blood. Now, first things first, for those Dexter New Blood wrap-up listeners who don't have Showtime yet, visit show.com slash DexterPod for a special limited-time offer. You get to try Showtime free for 30 days, then just $3.99 a month for your first four months. Once again, it's at show.com slash DexterPod. This offers for new customers only and expires November 30th, 2021. So get on it. Showtime, baby. Joining me to break down the fourth episode, H is for Hero, is Jamie Chung, who plays podcaster Molly Park. And later we're going to talk to the episode's writer, Tony Saltzman, and discuss how the story came together. Jamie. Hi. How did you become this juggernaut that you are today, actor and all this sort of stuff? Like, what was your route to this? Oh, my goodness. I've always loved theater and I've always loved performing. And even though I graduated college with um, a business economics degree, I wanted to live in LA and it's been like a dream, a fantasy that I always wanted to live out and just give acting a shot. But I was like so ashamed to tell my family, very traditional Korean family, what I was doing because I didn't want them to worry about me or like shit on my dreams because that's what they do. (laughs) And I kind of just went for it. And so I I moved out here in 04 after I graduated college and I just started doing extra work. So I really started from the bottom. Oh, wow. And I really understand what it was like to be on a set, um, how important everyone's roles were, um, how not glamorous it was, how hard and long the hours were. And I still wanted to do it. You know, I think if you live through all of those painful firsts and you still love what you do, then it's probably a right fit. And so after that, my role started to get a little bigger and... You know, prior to that, I did a reality show in college, and yeah, here I am. Just the roles got bigger and better, and and now I get to be a little bit more picky about the work that I do. Yeah, no, it's great. It's funny you say that. Like, um, you could feel that on set that you you had respect and cared about like everybody that was around. Thank you. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that it, it that, takes uh, it takes makes... a village. It really does. It's not just we get to be on camera, but there's four hundred people behind the camera on stage that are yeah. doing their jobs and doing a great job. And on this it. show, we were in the snow and we rode for 15 minutes in a dune buggy to get there. Man, <laughs> do you remember when all that snow <laughs> melted at base camp? Yes. And it was oh like the, all the mud. You just couldn't get anywhere. It was insane what you guys had to do on the production side to make that safe for people to drive on. It was, I mean, they threw, I feel like, Every curveball was thrown at this production and you guys came out of it like, let's go. (laughs) What else? (laughs) We can do this. From the first day you joined up, we were all so excited. We were all such big fans of your work. Thank you. Also, like how different you were from Lovecraft, this like sort of drawn in person to this podcaster who's just voracious. (laughs) Both voracious in different ways, I guess. But yes, exactly. I mean, totally different. I, I was I was saying in an, in a different interview that this character was so easy to embody, and that's because of the writing, because it was written. You know, she was confident, she was sassy, she didn't give a fuck. She was very very honest and clear about what she wanted and why she was there. 
And, you know, she's a go-getter. And I, I don't think that I've ever had the opportunity to play a character like this. You know, it's so much charisma and confidence and, yeah, very blunt. Very blunt. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was amazing just watching you step into it from the very beginning. Yeah, our uh, Veronica West, our, our co-EP, and Kirsa Rain were very much the keepers of the Molly flame. They wanted her to be voracious. They wanted her to someone who, like, mm-hmm. lives life to the fullest, Somebody who, when she sees something she wants, she just grabs it. She, you know, just mm-hmm. goes for it. And funny. And uh, uh, yeah. you were all of those things on the show. It was great. Thank yeah. you. And I love that you brought in this new medium. You know, it's, it's something yeah. that wasn't really popular 10, 15 years ago. And so it's just another armchair detective, a pretty smart journalist who's like obsessed with true crime. You know, and and I love that it's this new avenue, like another another person for Dexter to be worried about. You know, that's like hot on his trail. Yeah, super fun. Were you, were you a fan of Dexter previously? I can't, I can't remember if you had watched it before or or if you caught Scott, up on it once. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Shut up. When I first got into this business, I was like, it's the one show that I watched weekly, like did not miss. And I was obsessed. I had like seen Jennifer Carpenter's work um, previous to this show. And it was the exorcism of Emily Rose. And I just remember watching her performance like this woman is the real deal. Like she is like what I want to be when I grow up in this industry. Like she's an amazing (laughs) actress. Everything is grounded. Everything is believable. Michael C. Hall, I love his work as well. And so I believe I did an interview just under 10 years ago and sadly, it was when Dexter had already finished. And it was after like my first feature film. And they were like, what would you like? What is the dream role? What would you love to do? And I was like, I want to be on Dexter. I want to be on a show like Dexter with a caliber of talent, great storytelling, you know, something. That's what I want to do. And, and 10 years later, here I am. So ask me again your question of have I ever watched? Of course I fucking have, Scott. Jesus Christ. It's like one of the most popular shows in the world. So yes, I have. Yay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, that's awesome. What was your first impression of Molly when you, you know, learned about the role, saw the script? I just read LA Girl podcaster. I was like, I can do that. I can do that. That's great. <laughs> but <sighs> what I loved about her most is that she's not afraid to ask what she wants. She's not afraid to angle. But women, like she gets women. She sees Angela. She does all the research. What I loved about her is like all the details matter. Everything matters. Who are these people? You know, who's on her team? Who's on the police force in Iron Lake? How many people are in Iron Lake? You know, where? how far is the reservation from this town? Like all those specific details I was really fascinated by. And that's something Molly Park would be fascinated by, right? Let's put yeah. a timeline. I love a good timeline. Let's let's go over all the facts. Like she is, she. there's not one detail that gets past her. And that's what I really loved about her. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was fun. Try to remember the first day that you came on set. Was it in? It was cold as fuck. It was right. uh, It was in it the was, woods. <laughs> it was the, during the the dog stuff and all of that. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And, and you were everybody else is all bundled up and wearing warm clothes. I mean, and- she's come. She's rolling in these like two thousand dollar Jimmy Choo like <laughs> shearling high heels because everyone needs a pair of those um, in the winter time. And I mean, my wardrobe was insane. I was like, this is nice. Yeah, we definitely wanted the minute you saw her Molly, to stand you- out. Yeah, you knew this was not this is not somebody that, that lives in this area, um, mm-hmm. uh, and so you inhabited that also very much so, and, and like no big city judgment on people either. Yeah. It, it totally felt like somebody who wants to make a good story, wants to have a giant podcast, but is really interested in everybody. Because I think when you're 
you know, and I love listening to, I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts. I was going to ask you that. Um, you know, prior to yeah. this job, but listening to Crime Junkie or Generation Y, they really set things up so you understand who each player is, who each person is, you know, the scenario, the time that this this crime took place. And so I do think that makes her a really good storyteller is having empathy for the people that she meets and understanding. Yep. And uh, a lot of that leads to, as you were saying, it leads to, uh, it's, he's Angela, the chief of police. Mm-hmm. And um, you could already... From the, very, from the very start, there was this sort of sense of respect that Molly had for Angela, even if Angela didn't necessarily respect podcasting. <laughs> but it was she, fun. She was playing hard to get, yes. She was playing very, <laughs> very hard to get. You want to talk about like that first day setting up with Angela, with uh, Julia? These two yeah. strong cop and podcaster stepping in the same yeah, room together? I think it was, really, it was really difficult to find how she can get in with Angela. Angela is very much all about, the, all about business. You know, she's a very, very good chief of police. She's very good at her job. There's a reason why she was able to climb up to different positions and become the captain of Iron Lake. And the angle of being direct and like, hey, you're a girl, I'm a girl. Like, we're, we're pretty strong people. Like, mind if I tag along? That didn't work, right? She's like, no, yeah, there's, yeah. there's, that's not, I'm not taking volunteers. Um, no, I'm not going to let you shadow me or do a ride along or partner with me for a search. And I do also think like coming in full force, like a, a bull in a china shop into her office, like, oh my God, what's going on here? Like being so nosy. Didn't work either. But, you know, she came in with some information like, look, I'm actually just like you. I am helpful. I'm resourceful. I've got an army of amateur armchair sleuths. Like, I can yeah. I can fucking help you. We can be a team. Yeah. It's like Batman and Robin, except there's two Batmans because one can't be the Robin. <laughs> so it worked. And it worked. And I think yeah. that's kind of what lowered her guard. Like, she realized that she needed more resources and she needed the help and she wasn't afraid to accept the help. In this episode, we also see the results of this podcast to a certain extent Mm -hmm. with Harrison listening to the podcast, sitting there by himself and hearing the story about himself. I always wonder, you know, with these true crime podcasters, there are family members that, you know, have survived. And I wonder, do you ever wonder if they ever listen to these podcasts and kind of relive the trauma I don't, I mean, that's just, I feel like that's so tough. But also, in a way, it's like capitalizing off of their pain, you know? Yeah. I don't know. But- No, it's- It's tough. I I love that it addresses that a little bit. Yeah, Yeah, it does. It does, because it does feel gross. But on the flip side, it is a cautionary tale. Unfortunately, it's a true tale. But it's- you know, it's like, be careful. This shit happens. Lock your doors. Be smart. You know, if something feels yeah. off, don't tamper with the evidence. Don't don't tread all over the potential footprints and trails that the killers left behind. Like, it's just, I think, just be smart and be safe. Something like this happened to me once. I was at a party just talking to some people, and this brother and sister were there. And they were like, oh, so what do you do for a living? Because it's LA. That's how you do mm-hmm. conversations, right? Of course. And I said, oh, I write for the show called Dexter. And they actually got really angry at me. Because uh, they had a family member who was a very famous serial killer. Uh, and they were just like, why would you tell stories like this? Whoa. And it was just, a, it was like an awkward moment. And, and I sort of like, 
being a writer, I just wanted to find out. I, I pulled a Molly Park is what I'm trying to tell you. More information. <laughs> give I, me, uh, give me I the was juice. just wanted to find Spoke out. Like, so tell me, how did you know? What was it like when you found out? Did you believe it? Like what? Yeah. <laughs> Were there any clues? And they just, they didn't want to talk about it. And they, and they oh, left. Man. And then I felt like afterwards, I was like, oh, I got to think these things through sometimes. But Yeah. Um, Be a little bit more sensitive. Um, <laughs> man, that's rough. But that, did you that's, leave the party? Yeah. Did you stay? What'd you do? I stayed. They, they okay. left. Oh, man. <laughs> Wow. Okay, that's the yeah, trick, huh? That's my uh, that's Get my pulling a Molly Park. <laughs> uh, without uh, necessarily spoiling anything, mm-hmm. uh, what are some things that viewers should keep their eyes on Molly Park about? Like uh, anything you can tease out, um, other than just how awesome she is. Yeah, yeah how awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. I would pay attention to the podcast recordings that are played on the show. Yep. There's some good Easter eggy stuff that's happening yes. inside of that thing. Yes, exactly. Um, how did you, did you have any favorite moments from the show that? Uh, uh, yeah, you know, sadly, because of COVID, we couldn't do a lot of hangouts and whatnot. Yeah, that was a bummer. Um, but I did have a friend of mine let me stay in his home near the studio. And uh-huh. it was lovely to have like cooked some dinners and have the girls over, Julia and Johnny. One of the best moments actually was I had worked with Johnny previously on her show that she starred on when she was 10 years old called Believe. It was on NBC, I think. And she was a little thing. Like my husband and I were living in Brooklyn. We took her out. We're like, can we, we're going to babysit Johnny and we're going to take, we're going to watch a movie at home and you know, you can pick her back up in an hour, right? And when... I, I got the role. I texted Johnny immediately and I was like, I'm going to be on your show again. And she's like, no way. <laughs> and so when we finally got to meet up, I was expecting this like little 10 year old who like came up to my waist. I went to her apartment. We we're going to, I brought some lunch and we we're going to eat in her apartment. And she opens the door and it's this like five, eight drop dead cool, smart, mature woman opened the door and she was like, <laughs> yeah. and her voice is like so much lower now. And she's like, Jamie, that blew my mind. But I thought that was such a wonderful reunion thanks to the show. And I, I would have oh, to say I that was no my idea. favorite, very specific moment. She's a dope young woman. She also knows what she wants. Yeah, and she's not afraid to speak her mind, which I'm really proud of her about. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, and joining us on the podcast. I got to tell everybody out there that's listening, uh, the things that happen in the future with uh, the team up of Molly and Angela is incredible. There are surprises. There are things that they uncover. It's going to blow your mind. It's going to be great. And now to help me break down the fourth episode, H is for Hero, and discuss how the story came together is the episode's writer, the very talented, the very furry, Tony Saltzman. Hi, Tony. Hey, Scott. Uh, let's get into it. Tony Saltzman. Scott. Dude, how long did we, how many months did we spend how many years? inside of a, yeah. Inside like of, ins- first inside a writer's room and then on Zoom. Our journey got interrupted by COVID, you know, halfway through breaking this season. Let's talk about your journey to becoming a writer here. You don't have like the normal, I mean, one, we, we, share, we share a link about how we came up in the business. You don't have like the normal writer story. In some ways you do, and in some ways you don't. And I think it starts with your dad, probably, I imagine. 
Right, right. My dad was a TV writer, so all growing up, I was sort of around it all the time. I like was on set for Columbo when he was writing on Columbo, you know, way back as a little kid. At around 16, I like wrote my first script, and I was really into writing. Did, you, did your dad read it and give you notes? He and did, and he, that, he tore too. me apart really early on, and I, I think it was really <laughs> helpful because he, I got a thick skin really quick because he did not mince words, and he just started teaching me story like really early on, and it, like you don't need this, this gets boring. Here, where's the engine? And I like studied playwriting in college a little bit and all that kind of stuff, and then. I went totally the other way and played in a rock band for like five years out of, out of college. It was called Pearl Jam, right? Right, right. I wish. I wish it was no. a name anyone knew. <laughs> we failed miserably at it. It was great, but I always kind of knew I want to be a writer. And I felt like I had talent at it in high school and college and stuff. But So I thought, oh, well, I, in my, my family, the joke was like, oh, would you just just be a writer? Like, our <laughs> family's just like, just like don't, don't, don't try that crazy dream. Like, in my family, it was like, don't try that crazy dream of being a rock star. Just be a writer like you're supposed to be. <laughs> Which is a crazy it dream. Insane. Yeah. yeah, it was insane. And, and I learned that very quickly after I, the band ended. I was, it was not easy. I, was, I remember just being like, what am I doing in my life? Being in an acting class and writing writing because I just wanted to write scenes and see them because I, I was so tired of writing in my own room and then not and I couldn't see how it actually played so I got an acting class and I wrote like a scene you know I would put up a scene every week this went on for at least like two or three years and it was great experience because I got it's funny we share another link we have is our love of Quentin Tarantino and it's like I've yeah. since found out he did that you know where he just wrote yeah. scenes and put them up and you see how it works, like right live, you know, like did the, does yep. it work? Do you get that laugh? Like, how does that play? Does that come off cheesy? It was invaluable over time. It was also invaluable because our other link, a friend in class said, I really love your writing. When you're done with the script that you're constantly workshopping in class, can I show my dad your script? And I didn't even know what that meant at the time. I was like, sure, you know. And his dad said, that's the last thing I want to do is read your friend's script, like, and threw it in the trash. <laughs> and, then, and then my friend kept bothering him. And, and uh, you know, that was Clyde Phillips' best friend, who, who was the dad who ended up oh. reading my script and really liked it. So that is how I got into the business, which is so crazy. Yeah, he started, you, you, you both, the, the, both of us were uh, Clyde Phillips' assistants way back in the day. Yeah, he's a great mentor. And then when this this show happened, he called me, then he called you. Is that how that worked? I know he called me first, so just sorry about that. No, that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I believe that is how it went. So I felt like I'd heard rumors about it, you know, months or maybe even a year before. But then when it was really happening, gosh, it, got, it was very exciting. Very exciting. And how and had you watched Dexter before? Were you a Dexter fan or did you catch up once? I had definitely watched, I believe, like most of the first four seasons because of becoming Clyde's mm-hmm. assistant, but I, I hadn't known it sure. really before then. And then watched the whole thing to get, get prepped for this and uh, loved it. And, and by the way, I'd always heard about you, like from different people, like at, on, on my journey as a writer, like, <laughs> you know, like Hilly and Rael yeah. and like different people had like, you know, mentioned you. That was so exciting to finally get to be in a room with you. And sometimes they said nice things. <laughs> yeah, they always said yeah. nice things. Um, and from Clyde. Yeah, Clyde always said, he's the guy who just, he, he just throw out idea after idea. And I didn't know what that meant until I got in a room with you. And it was true. It was true. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. You're amazing. Yeah. If not that, how about this? Yeah. If not that, how yeah. about this? Always. Yeah, yeah. That's, how my, that's how my brain works. Because there's so many ways to tell a story. And that's sort of the the awesomeness of a writer's room. And it's also the terror of a writer's room. Let's get into episode four, H is for Hero. That was your title. You came in with the script 
with that title. You want to talk about why it's H is for hero? I landed on that because clearly, like, I, I mean, I love that element. And, and again, in a writer's room, I don't remember who said what in the writer's room. Like, no, it's all it's, a big blur. We're a hive mind. It's a hive yeah. mind, which is the, why it's so exciting. I love it so much. It's like a rock band, actually. I remember, I just love this idea that Dexter had had this fantasy I remember from, I don't even remember which season it is now, but of, of like walking up and everyone celebrating him for killing the bad guys. And uh, what was it? What you would know. That was the end of season one. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it, it goes deep into the heart of Dexter that, you know, just like all of us, he wants to belong. Yeah, he wants you to know? be accepted. He wants to become something more than he is. is. Yeah, 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 totally. You know, and he lives a life that he can't share who he is with anybody. Right, you know? right. And he's always looking for it, though. And he's an optimist because, in spite of the fact that everyone he shares it with, he either kills or they, <laughs> or they take off, <laughs> whether it's Lumen or Hannah. It's a tough life for young Dexter. Yeah, I just remember I loved whoever said in the writer's room. Like, I love that idea of, oh my gosh, like, he's jealous of Harrison for being the hero. He's like what you want to be. And when Deb says that to him, it's so great. I love that concept. And then it got into the whole trickiness of any suspicions he has of Harrison. Is it his own idea of what he wants his son to be in some twisted way? Does he want his son to be more like him? All of that stuff is like, so fascinating. So the whole idea of Age of the Hero kind of sums all of that up to me, of Dexter's imagining of who his son is and thinking about who his son might be, not knowing him for very long as a teenager, and trying to shape it in his own mind and, and double-second-guessing himself, because Deb is him. So he's second-guessing himself about all his thoughts about his own son. I just like love that element of this episode. It's funny, when we were breaking the season, so often we would, in the room, we would just talk about different podcasts we're listening to especially true crime podcasts, serial killer podcasts, movie podcasts, whatever. And we very quickly decided we need a podcaster on this season. Which part about Molly Park? What's fun about Molly Park to me, you, you know, when you tell the story of Dexter, who is looking at his son and part of him is like, I hope he's the good guy here. And the other part of him is like, man, just like every father or, or mother or parent, you know, you look at your kid and, and it's a little bit of a mirror and you, you define them through your own experience. Molly is somebody who comes to this town who is very much about getting her story at all costs, right? And in this episode, she ends up convincing Angela to team up with her by, you know, by saying, look at all my armchair, right? That's this episode, right? Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> uh, all, bring, bring in all the armchair uh, uh, detectives that she's able to work with. Again, it's another person you can't quite trust her. <laughs> You're not sure if, if everything that she's doing is purely to serve this story so that she can get more and more people to listen and make more and more money, or if she really is someone who's like, I do care about the missing people here. And like all great stories, I think it's both. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And she has such a yeah. she has a great energy about her and it, it adds I mean a great element to the show, but also like it's a great play off of Angela that she has this this energy that she believes in Angela and like she, you know Angela's sort of been on this remote island trying to has these suspicions about what's going on with these missing girls and that she comes in and, and has this, this blast of energy about it and is like I want to help and think you're onto something it's like it's great for Angela it's a really neat relationship that starts developing in this episode it's that podcast that starts everything though you know. Right, right, because Harrison listens to the podcast. Ah, that's another great moment. Which really brought, like, I mean, having watched the first eight seasons a long time ago now, I'm right in the present with Harrison now, and then it's like that that moment of him listening to the podcast, oh, yeah, that's who this boy is. Like, that is the real, like, it, it, I don't know, for me, it hit viscerally, like, emotionally, of 
who he is and what he's been through. And oh, okay, this is the stakes we're dealing with. That moment was was really strong to me watching it just recently. Yeah, on the on the day, I mean, and it's pretty much exactly shot as it was written. I think that was even like a pitch that, if I remember right, and I think I do. This is a, like a just a visual that Clyde had in the room of this sort of just starting across the gym and slowly moving in and watching this kid. And I remember on the day uh, when we were shooting it, little behind the scenes stuff. Like this was one of the days that Jack Alcott was like terrified about because <laughs> there's nowhere to hide, right? In, in a long tracking shot that just keeps pushing in and pushing in, you can't edit out, you can't cut away to something else. It's all living in his face. How'd you feel when you saw it? Oh my God. I mean, he, his, that casting is just, he's so good. And it's so important for the season. And it was so, even in just a little bit, I saw him in episode one, I was like, oh, He's good. Like I'm in. I'm in on this guy, you know. And uh, but seeing him in this episode, oh my gosh! Like there's so much depth there. It was so great. It was exactly what we were trying to accomplish in that scene. My gosh, I thought it worked so well. And it leads. It leads you to think because at the end of the last episode, there was this moment between Harrison and Ethan, this poor kid, who's just terrorized and watches Harrison, who steps in, you know, steps into school. Walks up to the bully. Bully comes to, you know, uh, Ethan does the double flip off, which is straight up homage to Repo Man, if people are wondering about that. If there was like, what was that? Oh, yeah, that's that double flip off was uh, Ethan doing Repo Man. Ethan watches Harrison grab Zach by the neck, <laughs> that clincher, and uh, cause so much pain and win something that Ethan never got to do. It's like Ethan, much like Dexter, much like a lot of other people, suddenly got to realize this is someone I can open up my thoughts to, of what he wanted to do to, to all these kids that have been terrorizing him forever. Were you bullied in school? It's so funny. I'm like doing a volunteer thing right now in my kids' school, and I've literally just been, been, and we, it's like a half hour class where we talk about feelings, and I literally have been sharing about like, I was kind of bullied, well, not like I wasn't really bullied, but just trying to open up so that, that they feel safe to open up and talk about their stuff. Just being scared of the bigger kids and like, you know, who are tough. And I was not tough and big. If you, I know, surprise, surprise. <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah. not the big tough kid <laughs> in school. <laughs> it was powerful to see that relationship develop very quickly between Ethan and him. I love the first line that yeah. was on my episode when he sits down and he says, the girl that the catfish girl you know he's like she's not real like it's the first thing yeah. he says yeah. to him yeah <laughs> so great <laughs> just direct, yeah. direct. <laughs> no hello hi i'm i'm harrison just she's not real <laughs> just blows his whole life in like one moment it's a great great opening and the, and the stakes are so high after seeing those pictures and seeing those drawings it was harrison thwarting the possibility of a some some sort of violence at school how did that feel and when you saw harrison's story yeah, I mean, we were. I was. I was scared of doing that a little bit, um, just because uh, the reality of it, right? And especially, I mean, sadly enough, it's always going on. But like, especially, feel like it was uh, Parkland had happened. Like, not because this was so long ago. We did the treasure room. Like, Parkland had been not that long before, I believe. So I was a little scared to do it. It but... puts Harrison up against. Is it a like-minded person? Right. You know, like right. I, I, when Dexter arrives at school after he gets that buzzing on his phone and charges into school. He sees somebody, a bloody sheet come, being toted out of the school. He thinks, that's my son, not his son. It's somebody else. He's never met this kid. <laughs> Steps inside the school, sees his son, sees blood all over the floor. I remember when we were breaking it in the room, is that we see a little bit of Dexter as crime scene guy 
in episode two with the deer, or, you know, two and three. And then in this episode, we get to see Dexter like sort of go full on blood spatter analyst, just like the old days, as he stares at his son and feels both who, sta- I mean, it's just this amazing, if you, if you watch it again, this is an amazing moment where Dexter, when he hears that his son was stabbed and that look that Michael has Dexter give is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it was, it was, it was so good for just all the um, ambivalence and mystery around what yeah. happened. Like, and cause the first thought is like, is, is Harrison, the perpetrator of the violence at school, right? Then you go to the thing and it's no. And then, I mean, I just love that moment. God, watching on screen was just like, when Dexter first asked the first question about, how did it go? How did it happen? (laughs) You're just like... And Jack played it great too, you know? It's like, A, is he just flustered? Or is is he covering up? Or is it true that like Deb says, normal people that aren't psychos <laughs> get flustered in situations like that. And you don't remember every, all the facts correctly. Yeah. It was such a great, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I guess you just said it, but like Dexter, it just, it just like brought back old Dexter for me in that moment, the whole thing in Miami and, you know, Metro, his whole way of being around the office. Like it's like it all came <laughs> yeah. back in one moment right? with his own son. Leading to the, finally the big blood spatter moment with, with he and his yeah, sister. Which I believe was your pitch. Again, hive mind. It's all. But, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Like I remember when I was like, oh, like I get to write this episode. Like, oh yeah. I, and I think I wrote like some like 10 page version of it. There was a lot more stabbing. A lot more, there was a lot more reenacting. Yeah, because it was so But it was fun. also, it felt, and it felt very true to Dexter that all of his frustrations, this is like how a serial killer acts out his frustrations, you know, stab the sister that's like haranguing his head and then her stab him back, <laughs> you know. Just this war of attrition that they're having on each other. And just the actual reality of like trying, like that's how smart he is as a blood spatter analyst that he can do that in his mind and figure out where the blood would go, you know? And I just, I just thought I had so much fun with that and that it tied into an emotional thing between him and his sister in his mind. Like, it was just like, the, it was the perfect scene, right? Like, it's, oh gosh, what a great setup. You know, you can have the emotion and the, the fascinating sort of detective work at the same time. Um, yeah. So I love that scene. I always thought, like, that's the scene. Right? Yeah, Sandy, uh, I remember when Sandy walked on that, you know, that high school stage and just sort of figured it out. Added the nutcracker stuff in the background. That was Eric Weiler and, and Sandy just trying to figure out what's the what's what's the incongruous sort of moment that that's uh this the setting that they're in. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of working out emotion, <laughs> you know, be- between them. Finally leading to this this moment where I'm still, you know, you're still not fully convinced, but it, but you're sort of convinced because of Dexter. I think that was Clyde's brilliant pitch that after it's done, instead of being like, oh, Dexter, figure it out, it's Deb saying, this is all in your mind. You are creating this because you want him to be like you so you can be the dad who's showing his son what, you know, like he's modeled after me. And it was such a brilliant pitch because then it kept the story alive for the rest of the episode. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't settled at no, all. No, no. But then Dexter still has that moment where he's like, I mean, the ultimate wish fulfillment for him, thinking it's almost like, he fit the code. I mean, it's the ultimate version of Breakfast Club with Emilio Estevez has a dad who wants him to become the greatest wrestler on the planet, you know? Right, right. It's very relatable. <laughs> 
Yeah, you want your kids to be basketball players, right? I mean, so, no, it I mean, literally it's a- comes across. Like my son the other day was talking about how like, he's my, my son's very good at basketball, and he also mentioned that he's like one of the slowest in his class. And I'm like, you are me at eight years old. It's like amazing. It's like incredible, like the way that happens sometimes. You know, not all the time, obviously, but. You live vicariously no, uh, through your son then. And, oh, yeah, it's, it's wild. <laughs> <laughs> you can't help it. It's weird. Mm-hmm. All leading to Harrison at the school, at the high school. And we gave you the daunting task of like writing a high school, giving us a, a speech, which is not easy. <laughs> no, no. but Because um, but... things can feel written too easily, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to toot my horn. But like, I like to think like one of my strong suits from doing the acting class all that time was like, I, I hated when I, I wrote something and then saw it on stage and be like, that's cheesy, no one would say that, you know? So I, I like to think I aim for not being too written cheesy. And like, I love the way he delivered that. And just talking about like the spin on it was like, actually Ethan was a victim because that is how their friendship started, right? He felt so bad for Ethan getting picked on. So he just shared that, you know? Um, that was really, that's a really fun thing, part to write. And then cutting back and forth between, between Dexter's, just tearing apart the room, looking for proof, like begging in his soul for proof. I got to find something. I got to find that other thing that caused this wound. Dexter knows his blood and Dexter knows about slicing people open. (laughs) Not many people know it better, stabs and slicing, you know, leading to Dexter finding, ultimately finding the, uh, the, the hipster razor, as Molly calls it in her podcast. I don't know if you remember in the script, originally it was just so sort of like, hidden under some blankets on his cot. So we were getting ready to shoot it, and we were sort of like, ah, I don't know. Is he sort of dumb, just hiding it under his under his blanket? Wouldn't he be a little bit smarter? And it was Jennifer Carpenter who was there and gearing herself up to like be Dexter's emotion in that scene. We'll talk about that in a second. It was her that was like, yeah, when I grew up, I used to hide things in my, in, in my flashlight next to my bed. I would take out the batteries and just stick stuff in there. And we were like, oh, what a great thing that illuminates. And Dexter... Gets, you know, looks under the bed, it's totally dark, grabs the flashlight, turns it on, it's not working. And as everybody does, you shake it to see if the battery's inside. And that doesn't sound like a battery. And there is the razor. There is the, the implement that, you know, it's Dexter's greatest fear also that his son is exactly like him, that his son does remember his, that his mother was killed by the Trinity Killer. And uh, were you surprised at that final scene, like uh, between Dexter and Deb? Michael's choices, he chose to kiss the razor. <laughs> and I remember just going, wow, what a, yeah. you know, intriguing, but it was, but it was right. You got Deb behind him, who's just sobbing. Yeah, it's, it spoke to, I think, like, the, the joy of Dexter, like, of any character, but Dexter does it so well, of, like, the different sides to a person. And we knew early on, like, that's, we can do use Deb because he can't, Dexter isn't the most emotionally available person and so it's like we could show the different sides and that's what I love especially about this episode and like about the show itself but how we were able to use the character of Deb because throughout the episode it's like he's thinking one thing and we all have that where like different parts of ourselves think different things you know and different parts come out at different times around different people and I just love that element and that that the end that he's so mixed because it's like part of him loves that he has a son like him but he hates that part of himself that would think that even. And then part of him is absolutely devastated that his son is like him. And you get to capture it all on screen at the same time. What a cool way to do that. I mean, I remember all the arguments and discussions that we would have over almost every Deb scene. Really, like, I was so happy. I mean, and Jennifer Carpenter is so amazing. And, uh, and, it, and it, they're just... 
they're always like coming from a strong attitude. I was like, oh, you guys had fun on set because she's like in different places. She's grabbing them. She's throwing them around, you know, <laughs> just putting yeah. bullets down his mouth. Like, I just like, I'm like, yes, <laughs> like for it. And, it. and it's always fun to watch for that. And you still have the emotional brother-sister connection. Yep. I remember when you turned the script in, just how happy we all were just nailing all of these uh, very complicated thoughts and themes and all leading to like, you know, but we all have a monster inside of us and we all have a good, something good inside of us. All that matters is who wins out at the end. I love the scene too of the, when Kurt comes over to give him the present and Dexter and Kurt are like talking about their sons and I'm like, oh, like I had kind of forgotten about that scene, you know. Clyde always from the get-go was like, this is about fathers and sons and passing on things and how to be a good father. And I was just like, oh God, it captured so much when they're talking about Matt and Harrison and there's so much behind all of it, you know, like they're both lying through their teeth in ways and, and also like actually being honest in some ways. And that was a juicy scene. And, played so well by them. Oh, it was great. And it sort of launches this battle for the soul of, of Harrison. Don't give away too much, Sky. Let's go. <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, you know, clearly the guy comes to the house and his son is missing and he brings a toy over to, you know, to this other man's child. Yeah. He wants to shake the hero's hand. Yeah. Any uh, any memories you want to talk about? Like in the, when back in the room, does anything stand out when we were when we were breaking this episode? I just remember like it, this this room was just so fun, and and I just I just love the dynamics. Like you know, every room has different dynamics. Clyde is just so steady and always knew what the North Star was. Like talking about this father son stuff and the fight going on in Dexter's own head, you know, which we can play out through him and Dev. And he's always so clear and and always powerful scenes and then you just always having so many ideas and throwing out ideas and being able to reference the original show and like how that would play and I don't know and Veronica it was just everyone everyone has such a cool like different sort of angle on it and as a team I thought we worked so well and it was just so fun yeah everyone was so different any moments on camera that didn't like when you watch the when you watch the episode through that you're like ah, I didn't think it would go that way you know, from your memory of, of, of what you perceived like a, in the script. A funny little one was like, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but I remember like the Molly Park and Angela scene being in a bar. And then it's like, and then I was like, yeah, oh, maybe they had to was. like shoot it in the office to keep it on set. <laughs> we and did. so she comes yeah, in yeah. with the mar- And I, I, I mentioned it, I was watching with my wife and my wife said, oh, it totally works. And I was like, it does. It's like fun. Like it's a really fun scene. It makes her more fun. Yeah, it was really <laughs> yeah. cool. Yeah, Jamie was like, she was like on the day. She was like, "So I have all the stuff in your bag in my bag." We're like, "Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so fun, totally." And it, it worked because you had like the pictures of the women on the wall while they're doing the scene, and the and I love her referring to the Carrie murder board like all the time. I thought that was just that all played so well. Yeah, that was that was the one little like moment. I was like, I don't remember that being in the <laughs> and I love um, you know Logan being around and and that dynamic and Kurt coming in at different times. Besides that, no, it all it's amazing how much plays as well or better than in your mind, which is not always the case when you watch a show after you've written on it. Especially the stuff with, with uh, Dexter and Dev is just like they really played with it and and got it to where it felt like natural and powerful for them and it's like it comes it comes across like just killer and the atmosphere like we always talked about the snow globe town yeah just having watched the first episode with you very recently and not having seen it oh it worked like it's like i always had that vision like there'd be fun to see dexter in the snow globe town but to see it and it was like right there and you felt like the isolation of him in the cold and then just sort of the charming aspect of this town and all these different types of people in this town 
and like it totally works. It totally feels real, and and I love all the characters, you know, and they're all played played so well by all the actors. So it was just really fun to see it all come to life. It's uh, it's the kind of town you want to go to for Christmas. Yeah, Shelburne Falls. I bet they're gonna have a great Christmas this time in Shelburne Falls. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, Tony, uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking this through. And we'll have you back later with David. Sounds great. That'll be fun. Is that episode eight? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be great. And that's a wrap for this week's episode. Listen every Tuesday and subscribe to the Dexter New Blood wrap-up wherever you get your podcasts. And watch Dexter New Blood Sundays only on Showtime. This official podcast of the Showtime original series Dexter New Blood is produced by Showtime in conjunction with Malka Media.